One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we covered the former highest grossing movie in the world in the shape of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And today, we're dealing with a mega flop, but what it lacks in box office, it makes up for with heart. So let's see if from 1999, the Iron Giant can be victorious. So, I guess you're not going to hurt me, huh? My own giant robot, I am the luckiest kid in America. Where'd he come from? He doesn't remember. He's like a little kid. Little, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it's E.T. versus the Iron Giants. Which creature will have touched our hearts and which do we wish we'd left in the woods? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And I'm Alex. People want to know their government has a response. I am that response, Zane. <laughs> Welcome to this episode. Chris is uh, still back from holiday, which is great. Your tan hasn't faded a l- at all. Not a lot no, at all. No, still. I still look a little bit like E.T. A little bit. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, so uh, in your absence, I read a review last week. Didn't enjoy it. It's really your department because you are in this zone of the podcast. Mm. The one and only Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly. Let's hear a review. I've gone back to the American well, and right. this comes from Chazbiz, who says, Awesome podcast. The show brings back memories of my youth. Love the show and the host. Keep up the great work. Don't know who's referring to when he oh, says the host. That's singular. singular. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I am. Well, it's definitely not me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of the host. I think, it's, I think it's probably Alex. Let's not dwell on that, but it brings back memories of Chaz Biz's youth. I, which right. I'm, I'm happy to do. I think, I, 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 do you get this? Whenever you dip into the international well, it makes me feel really like special that we have international listeners. Yeah, I don't, I was in a, I didn't, if basically if we've got them, it's because you've told me. I don't know that. I don't look at the reviews. This isn't court. <laughs> Why is she so nervous? <laughs> I, there were some, I once saw a review, but I don't God, recall. Can you imagine me in court? <laughs> I would just filibuster until they were like, just fucking go away. You, did you do it or didn't do it? I don't care anymore. Stop talking. Are you, is, is everything okay? <laughs> I don't, Have sorry. you had some bad deal with the Americans recently? <laughs> no. no, I love the US. All right. I think. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't been there a while. This is supposed to be a nice bit of the show. It's no, it turning isn't. Nasty. No, I'll tell you what, because I tell you what, this is an honest thing. Because it's like an official part of the show, and then the way that you asked me that question was like, oh, I don't do that. So cool. then it felt like, cool, no, no, cool, no, cool, I'm cool, not. Cool. No, no, Am I cool, having cool, a go cool. at you? It's my fault. Sure, sure, sure. It's the way you said it, I was right. like, oh, am I supposed to have done it? That's what you're Shall, shall we talk about why I picked these movies? <laughs> Please. Um, so oh, I've got to say at the start of the last show, it's the 40th anniversary of E.T. and we love an anniversary. Uh, also, we've never done an animated film. Oh, yeah. We've done half animated a couple of times, but we haven't done full on animation. Big day. Big day. Big day for the podcast. So if everyone's ready, Vicky handled E.T. on Monday. I'm going to crack on with the Iron Giant. Let me take you on a journey. Hogarth. Oh, 
really wants a pet and his dreams come true when a massive childlike iron giant crash lands in the woods by his house showing an immense amount of courage some would say a stupid amount of courage when faced with a metal-eating monster Hogarth befriends the giant who probably promptly dies in a train crash only he doesn't. Together they frolic in lakes and avoid a government agent who goes from a sympathetic buffoonish character to an actual insane psychopath. Meanwhile, a beatnik junkyard-owning artist becomes a surrogate father. The government launch nukes. The giant sacrifices himself and dies in a huge explosion. Only he doesn't. The end. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, The Iron Giant. Quite a straightforward synopsis today, because mm. I'd never seen this movie before, mm-hmm. and I was—I don't know—I was a little bit it's not cynical, but I was sort of like—I was kind of excited because it was a new movie I'd never seen, but I thought it was going to be really, really like intentionally, manipulatively tugging on the heartstrings. I don't know why. I don't know whether it was the trailer or the idea of a small child befriending a giant robot. I thought it was going to be a little more manipulative than it was. And I, I didn't really find that with it. I have to say, without giving too much away, big fan mm. of this movie. Really enjoyed this first watch. Glad you brought it to the podcast. Chris, Yeah. what's your experiences, Vicky? Uh, I've, re- I've read the book with mm. the children. Uh, but I haven't read it for a while. Um, and then it's they've watched this film before and I've sort of half watched it when they've been watching it, but I wasn't paying attention. So I'm going to say this is the first time watch and I watched it with one child to get their other, you know, get a child's view on it again. So before we do you, Chris, have mm-hmm. you read the book as well? No. Um, so the book, the Ted Hughes, mm-hmm. 1916 something. 68. 68 novel. I, I've never read the book yeah. because of reading, uh, but I did have <laughs> the double audio cassette as a child, yeah. read by Bernard Cribbins. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's... It's uh, not like this film. No. no. But it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved it. So, I mean, a short deviation, but the book, um, the first half of the book is very similar to this movie, kind of, uh, in The Iron Giant appears and then eventually becomes part of the community that he lands in, although it is the UK, it's not America. The second half is mad. Uh, so... Following uh, the Iron Giant's arrival, uh, a creature arrives from space that is called in the book, I'm quoting, the Space Bat Angel Dragon. Mm. It lands on Australia where it is large enough to cover the whole continent and demands that humanity provide him with food, at which point the Iron Giant steps in, or the Iron Man as it's called, and has a battle of who can survive heat the most (laughs) It seems an unfair battle because the Iron Man says, I'll take the fires of heat from petroleum. You have to withstand the fires of the sun. Unsurprisingly, the Iron Man wins. And then he says, right, uh, because you've lost, you have to do what I say. And the dragon reveals itself to be a star spirit, peaceful in nature and a singer of the music of the spheres. (laughs) And then it flies just beyond sunset and brings peace to humanity by singing its beautiful song. Mm. Yeah, you say that's that, the movie I want to see. <laughs> you say that the first half is like this film. Apart from you've missed the bit where they bury the Iron Man in a hole yeah. and hope that he goes away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and families picnic on top of him, and that's what happens. Yeah, he yeah. smells. It's so. It's such an uh, an English like paragraph. I almost wrote it down where they go and they unpack their roast chicken, yeah, their hard boiled eggs, tomatoes. a bowl of tomatoes, <laughs> and then the Iron Man goes. <laughs> It comes out of the ground. It's telling that I've only read it a couple of times and I haven't for a while. And the only bit I remember is like, mmm, chicken. Mm. I did the same. I was like, I could go, I could go for some eggs, yeah. chicken, and tomatoes right now. Yeah. Brilliant. Chris. And am I right in thinking Ted Hughes wrote it for his children after the death of their mother? Yeah. And if so, what was the is there a is there a message in there? Of healing somehow. Or... I guess. I think it's about life and like understanding that death can happen, but yep. then, you mm. know, the soul goes on. But yeah, his yeah. wife obviously was... Should, yeah, should say it's Sylvia Plath we're yeah. talking about. Mm. I don't know if there was some guilt there that he was feeling. Possibly. Well, I read an interesting piece. I don't know enough about Ted Hughes, so I don't want to be quoted on this, but nevertheless, I think he communicated... He couldn't communicate with his children how he felt, so he wrote this book mm. instead as a way of trying to help them understand because he wasn't capable of doing that. Mm. So, Chris, your experiences of The Iron Giant? I watched this. I'm one of the few people that watched this in 1999 <laughs> when it came out. Uh, although I didn't go to the cinema, I watched it on video because I was 21 and 
I couldn't be asked to go and see something like this at the cinema. And it didn't really connect with me at that age. Um, it didn't do much for me at all, actually. And so uh, I was watching it this time with a more critical eye, with my Clash of the Titles eye, mm. and I enjoyed it a lot more. Mm. And that's all I'll say for this moment. Good. I think that's. I think that's good. I think what we can take from that little section is that we have a very interesting fight on our hands. Yes, and I, I would do. not like to call the verdict at this stage. So let me tell you a bit about the movie. Um, so obviously, as we just established, Ted Hughes wrote the Iron Man in 1968. Uh, it's going to sound mad, but I'll just keep it brief. Pete Townsend of The Who <laughs> yeah. reads it and loves it loves and it. decides he wants to write a concept album, which he does. That is released in 1989. People like the concept album. It goes on to become the Iron Man stage musical at the Old Vic in London in 1993, which Warner Brothers thinks, bloody hell, this is all right. We're going to turn it into a movie, so buys the rights. And they decide, mid-90s, Brad Bird is the man to bring this vision to the screen. So Brad Bird, I mean, <laughs> this guy. Uh, have you ever met Brad Bird? Mm. He's... A, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met, and that was my experience. Are you, you about to say is that I'm? Bothered? Yeah. Oh, you watch the documentary about the making of this film, and he, which he's involved with, he's okayed all this. He's a bit of a monster, really? and everyone struggled to work with him. He struggles to work with other people. He's a really, really tough taskmaster, but you know the, the results speak for themselves. I sort of read between the lines in my research and I sort of figured, I read it in a very positive way. Like he was working at Disney and then he basically went, Disney are bullshit and they don't really care about original thought, original ideas. It's all very mechanical and I don't want to be part of this. So he leaves Disney. Yeah, I think it was by mutual consent. They didn't like him because it's, it's amazing what happened to him. He, he made an animated film when he was 14 on his own. Um, he was invited to have an internship at Disney. Then they paid for his scholarship to CalArts. All this, you know, as a kid, basically. And then um, he got a job there, but it was just at the wrong time at Disney when every, it was just the good guys had gone, these terrible people had come in and they were making boring safe stuff and so he stood up to them which made him quite unpopular and yeah whether they sacked him or he walked it just didn't work out at all but one person who did very much like him uh, was our star of Monday's episode E.T. no Steven Spielberg <laughs> uh, so when we come to the Iron Giant I'm jumping ahead here so if you've got anything in the in-between. He'd co-written Batteries Not Included. Mm, I didn't know that. No, neither did I. Amazing. Yeah. We will be doing that. Yeah, uh, which led to this relationship with Steven Spielberg, who turned one of Brad Bird's an animated concept called The Family Dog uh, into one of his amazing stories, the only Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories episode that was animated. Um, so, again, at this point, he is got a series off the back of this that is co-produced by Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg, and it's his idea. So this family dog show catches the eye of James L. Brooks and Matt Groening, who invite him to work on The Simpsons, where he directs a couple of episodes and, most importantly, is the man responsible for creating possibly my favourite Simpsons character, Sideshow Bob. Oh, right. Oh, really? That's his baby, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So he delivers Sideshow Bob. So all of this, and if you've got anything else, let me know. All of this combines to make Warners go, you're our boy. You're our boy, Brad. You're our boy. So they bring him on to do The Iron Giant, and they give him a lot of creative control, which comes with some caveats, <laughs> which I'll get on to. But his control involves introducing two new characters not present in the original, Dean and Kent, who we'll talk about, setting the film in America and discarding Pete Townsend's musical ambitions, <laughs> uh, to which Townsend is quoted as saying, whatever, I got paid. Mm. Lovely. So Brad Bird said he'd read the Ted Hughes book and he really liked the basic mythology of the story, but I had something pretty different in mind, so I pitched my version of The Iron Giant and they went for it. And his version, he says he went into Warner's and it's based around a question I asked the execs at Warner Brothers, what if a gun had a soul and chose not to be a gun? So that's his big question that he pitches the movie as, which you can see, and we will see at various points in the film, is very present. Which And there's a bit of tragedy around mm. this. His own sister um, 
died at the hands of gun violence. So mm. this is why the film is dedicated she, to she her. She was shot by her husband. Mm. And this happened when um, he was working at Disney. And he, he says, I can't remember any of that period. It was a miserable time professionally. And personally, I was just going to pieces. So... Yeah, it's interesting that Brad Bird and Ted Hughes, this both came out of tragedy for both of them, this mm. story. It is. Uh, Brad Bird uh, wrote the script uh, with Tim McCanley's and they sent it to Ted Hughes. And although he died before the film was finished, mm. he did send a letter uh, to Bird and Warner saying, I want to tell you how much I like what Brad Bird has done. He's made something terrific, sinister, gathering momentum, and the ending came to me as a glorious piece of amazement. I cannot stop thinking about it. Yeah, it's a wonderful letter, and it's such a shame we didn't get to see the film, because normally in these circumstances, you expect the author to say, I can't believe you made all these changes (laughs) to my book. I was honestly expecting that. Of course you've moved it to America. Where (laughs) are the boiled eggs and chicken? Yeah, where's... (laughs) What's a turbo twinkie? (laughs) Yeah, but no, uh, he loves it. Um... But as I said, the creative control that Bird was given came at a price, mm. uh, which was that he was given given neither a lot of money or a lot of time to make this. Uh, he reckons he had about one third of the money of a Disney or DreamWorks animated film and half the production yeah. schedule. Yeah, five years to make an animated film. He was given two and a half years. Mm. And he said they went from my 12-page outline in January to actually making scenes in September, mm. which is just ridiculous for an animated film. But this is where it gets to what I'd consider the most interesting part of this story. So, budget of 50 million makes about 30 million. It was a commercial failure. The consensus is that, and I, I, I'd agree with this having seen it for the first time, it is not the film's fault. No, and not. everyone <laughs> seems to agree it's because of Warner Brothers. So, very quickly. The previous year, Quest for Camelot, which I had not heard about until I started researching this, their animated movie had come out and made a loss. And they were actually in the process of shutting down the Warner Brothers animation department, which is why they just left Brad Bird alone. They were like, this is going to be gone. Yeah. In the blink of an eye. All this will be gone. All this will be gone. So do what the fuck you like. Uh, And so then they screen the movie, uh, an early test screening. And according to Brad Bird, it is the highest uh, scoring screening of a Warner movie at that point in 15 years. Audiences loved this. And too late in the day, Warner had basically dropped the ball. They'd taken their eye off the ball and they hadn't lined up any publicity, any marketing. Word on the street is they marketed the marketing budget for this went to Wild Wild West. Oh, so their money that was going to be spent on this, they gave to Wild West because they just had no interest in it. And also there was a, a big Burger King tie-in that was going to help promote the movie that, again, Warners held their hands up and said, look, uh, it was a mismarketing of epic proportions. Um yeah, did you see the trailer that they released? I never did. I know it's, that they used the teaser poster as the main poster. They only made one poster for the film. It's, I couldn't. It's not on YouTube, but it's on the documentary, and it's it's like it's using big ACDC style uh, heavy metal riffs, and it's 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 pitching it as this violent action film with heavy metal music in thirty seconds, and it's just it couldn't be further away from the film that they made. So no wonder people were confused. Mm. It also doesn't look very good. Yeah, it basically sounds like Warner Brothers did not realise what they had on their hands with the quality of the movie. Um, Co-writer Tim McCanley says, after they saw the reviews, Warner Brothers were very shamefaced. I'll just add one last thing before we get into the film, which uh, is an interview that I found with Brad Bird in 2019 for IndieWire. And he actually takes some of the blame for Mm -hmm. what happened, uh, which I, I wasn't aware of. I'd sort of followed the the popular line that Warner Brothers screwed up because it's easy to demonise a studio. But they said, uh, he said, the terrible thing was when it came time to promote the film, they weren't paying attention to us. Warners were intending to put the film on the shelf and wait for a slow spot at some future date they could slip it out there. Then when the film got a huge response at a test screening, they had not laid the groundwork for it. To their credit, they knew they had to delay the release and lay the correct track for it. And I, Brad Bird, stupidly said no. I was feeling cocky because the scores were so good. And I said, just put it out there. Mm. So they did. And no one knew what the hell it was. I'll take part ownership in pushing them, pushing it out into the world too soon. 
I bulldozed them. So it needed eight million as an opening weekend. It got five. Yeah, his ego mm. was. He said he thought he'd made the best animated movie ever, mm. and that it would win the Academy Award, and the audience <laughs> wow. would come out in their droves. So he was. Okay. He was quietly confident. Uh, it was obviously a disaster, <laughs> but um, he said that after the opening weekend, Guillermo del Toro called him and said to him, "This will pass. You have made a classic that will stay in the hearts and minds of everyone who sees it. It will live forever." Which he said actually really helped get him through the period. Mm. I bet. Uh, and he did come through it because he uh, we had The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Weird that he's like not done a lot of live action, although he probably did get burned by Tomorrowland-ish. Mm. But, I mean, to, to their credit as well, Warner Brothers, 10 years later, let him have money to add in a couple of scenes that he couldn't afford to do previously, mm. so, which are on the new version of the film, that unlike E.T. don't wreck the thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to mention one of those early on. Shall mm. we get into the movie? Yeah. Great. Lovely. Uh, so much like E.T., we get straight into this. The Iron Giant arrives, flying past Sputnik and crashes into the sea off Maine in 1957, just after Sputnik's launch. So the question of the Giant's backstory... They mess with the Warner Brothers logo, Alex. I thought you'd like that. I was I was t- taken with the fact that I'd never seen uh, a Warner Brothers logo that said the Warner Brothers animation across mm. the middle. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and it's sort of there's a radio thing going on, isn't there? And they would normally have Bugs Bunny, uh, and he pulled him out. And also he wanted to say Cinemascope, didn't he? Because he wanted to make it feel very 1950. Yeah. So he wanted Cinemascope, but Fox owned the rights and went, new. Fun fact, the beeps, it starts with, it starts with beeping. The, film, the film ends with those beeps. I don't know what it says, but oh. it's the same beep. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> you were missed last week. <laughs> Tilly trivia. I don't know makes what it says, but that doesn't matter. Makes a big because return. I have noticed it's, the pattern. It's set up and pale. Do you like oh. Porter's head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do actually. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't everyone like a bit of Porter's head? I, 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 only, I only listen to it for the patterns because yeah. music is patterns. I spot patterns. This will mean nothing to you until you listen to no, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, the deleted scenes you were talking about, mm. though, they give us more of an idea of where the Iron Giant comes from because they show rows and rows of Iron Giants decimating cities and planets, which gives the this idea... This is a dream sequence later in the film. It is. Yeah. It's a dream sequence that comes later in the film. Sorry, I should have said that. Yeah, they don't put this at the start, but... Um, it's about his backstory, and uh, yeah, it makes you think that he's from a, a whole army of these creatures, and he's just gone rogue, or he's one of a kind, or something's gone wrong. A bit like E.T. Mm-hmm. Actually, I tell a lie. I do think that's a mistake putting that in. Do you? I, yeah, I think it's better to have more mystery as to who he is rather than the I idea that but because the idea is that they're definitely coming here to annihilate us. Yeah. Um, and you see the, the the earth exploding on the telly, and so I think it's better to have that vague what why philo- is here. If you want to hit that philosophical point that we don't all need to murder each other, you don't need to explain where this thing is from. No, and we can talk about what we think he's here for. I think that's more interesting. I've got, you know, I've got points of view. What do you think he's here for? Oh, should we get we wait till we get to the end? Let's get to talk about it at the end. So we're at the picturesque little town of Rockwell. Or Roswell? Mm. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, no. Apparently, uh, it's completely by chance because it was named after uh, Norman Rockwell, mm. who'd done a lot of um, artwork, which they uh, were influenced by when creating this. It's, it's half Norman Rockwell, half Edward Hopper, mm. isn't it? That yeah. 1950s Art Deco Americana. Everything's perfect, yeah. You, I love it. I do too. I really love it. <laughs> so it's, it's a good place to set this. Monday, yeah. Tuesday, it's happy days. Because it's in, in, innocence. <clears throat> well, that's what it says. Just an innocent time. Um, did you see it was called uh, Bird Landing? No. The little ports <laughs> as it pans across the town. That's nice. Yeah. So I'll get into section one. Oh, Hogarth's giant <coughs> discovery. They're really simple today. Excellent. Uh, so his mum, Angie, voiced by Jennifer Aniston, works at Chat and Chew Diner. She's called Annie. Uh, Annie, sorry, not Angie. That's all right. She was the. You just get across if I don't correct you afterwards. So I'm just doing it now, really bluntly. Thanks. She's I called Annie. That. Sorry. Annie. She was the only actor that the studio suggested that he said yes to. She's so good. She's very All good. The voice has to but you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think of her in no. that era playing a, a mum. No. Uh, but she does, yeah, she does a great job. And you wouldn't think of her as well because, and we'll talk a lot more about this, none of the animated characters are made to look like their voice counterparts, which does sometimes happen in mm. okay. animated movies. Right. The visuals are influenced by the actor playing them to sort right, of trade on the celebrity. But this, oh, was before, see, this right. was before you had the stunt casting of mm. superstars in roles, and that's why, you know, they wanted Travolta for Dean and they wanted Schwarzenegger for Kent. 
Brad Bird did not. You know, Chris yeah. McDonald is not a household name, but he was casting the right people for the right roles. Mm. So Annie, not Angie. No. Nice. So uh, <laughs> she works at Chanchu Diner and we meet Beatnik looking Dean, uh, voiced <laughs> by Harry Connick Jr. Uh, and we start to get a taste of the period from the headlines in the paper. The Soviet threat. Sputnik has just been launched, beating the US to having mm. a satellite in space. Uh, this whole atmosphere that would reach its peak five years later with the Cuban Missile Crisis is really starting to take hold of the US, even small town America, this paranoia. And yet the main takeaway is Hogarth wants a pet. Mm. <laughs> yeah. He takes in strays mm. uh, that he will then release because he feels sorry for them. So it makes sure that you know he's not just keeping a wild animal mm. in a cage. He's yeah, like, oh, point. I should let him out because he's a good kid. He's a good kid. Uh, he's left at home though. Yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fifties. It's fine. But these stories aren't very good if your parents are at home the whole time. No, they, how do they, we get around it these days? Is it the, no? It's not the death of kids' films, is it? Like mobile phones are supposed to be the death of horror movies, but people have figured you it out. You just set everything in the eighties. That's true. <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's, it's funny though. Like I was, I watched this and it had a really pronounced effect on me because although I told it a, a horror story of being at home on my own when my mum worked nights um, on Monday's episode, actually what was great was doing exactly what Hogarth did so like my mum would start at 8 in the evening and finish at 8 in the morning so it's just me and my brother and obviously we'd stay up watching movies like we watched loads of Jackie Chan movies <laughs> I remember watching The Keep for some reason the Michael Mann movie mm. but that's what we used our time doing even though we were meant to be doing our homework and whatever and then obviously word gets out that there is no adult in Alex's house. Yeah. And then all my friends start coming round. Oh, then no. the weed comes out. Then we start playing the Fraggle Rock theme on vinyl at 33 instead of 45. <laughs> and then eventually all had to wait. How old were you? How old were you when that was happening? Well, she worked She worked at this detox centre in Leeds called St Anne's. Uh, so, like, she was working 12-hour shifts. And uh, so I would have been 12, uh, probably between 12 and 14. Okay. So, like, that is, that's young for some of that. Yeah. Good fun, though. Great <laughs> I bet. Fucking brilliant. So he's eating a Twinkie. Yeah. Why do we not have Twinkies here? So I've felt thought we this do a now. lot. Oh, they're is in, they're it in Sainsbury's now. Are they disgusting? I've never eaten a Twinkie. Oh I've never even held a Twinkie. God. If, I think the ones that we get here might be different, though, because I think, you know, like Danassi water, um, the American water that the Coca-Cola company made that was on the shelves over here, and then someone went, no, 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 no. You can sell it in America because they've okayed it. We think that's a carcinogen that you're putting in it. Oh, so you okay. can't have it because the food laws are different. Yes. And I think Twinkies, because they taste so fucking good, probably have something in them that makes you go insane eventually <laughs> or something. <laughs> he, uh, so this Turbo Twinkie, as I said on Monday, uh, it's, it's spraying cream on top of the Twinkie that has cream in it. That's what Brad Bird would do when he was a kid. He said they're quite disgusting. Uh, but he made Eli Marienthal, the lad who plays uh, Hogarth, he made him stuff his mouth with them while he was recording that scene, <laughs> which he said he loved. So Brad Bird used to eat that. See, there you go. That's what Twinkies do. They make you difficult to work with <laughs> <laughs> over time. Yeah. They make you difficult to work with as you get older. Very good at stuff, just not easy. Yeah. Well, credit to Alison Abate who produced this and she was a big part. I, I would say they described it as, as massive shouting matches they would have with each other. Okay. Screaming at each other. Passion. Sure. <laughs> Careful. But no, it's, it's that weird thing, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Because that is okay. To, I mean, this is a conversation for the pub. But it's okay to shout if both of you are like, we are shouting at each other and we're happy to shout each, at each other. And that is how we work together and it brings about the best result. Mm. But the minute someone in that goes, I... I don't well, like this. I do not like this. Then it, you know. Then it's. I think it's just the thing. We'll talk about it later. But it's like it's the thing in the creative industries because you're tapping into emotion. Is it okay for that emotion to sometimes bubble to the surface? If you saw two surgeons shouting at each other before you would, you'd be like, I'm over, not over a body. <laughs> this is your fault. It's clearly your fault. Whatever. That's not acceptable. If I told you I shouted at someone at my work, you wouldn't think that was all right because it's not in the creative industries. It's these surface. The emotions have risen to the top a bit. Is it the best way of getting things done? I don't know. I, w I wouldn't like it if my boss screamed at me, no matter where I was working. But you've got to imagine in that situation, there is, like, I, I think a boss screaming at someone, that's an abuse of power yeah. as well. Whereas if these are two people, the producer and the director are kind of level pegging in yeah. terms of their different input into the movie. So if they're both okay with it. If they're both okay with it. From speaking personally, if I was okay with it and it got things done, it's okay. It's, mm. the, it's the end product that matters the most, in, to my mind, in that situation, if I feel comfortable. Better or worse than making a four-year-old child cry. That is a good point, yeah. <laughs> At least they're consenting adults, I guess. <laughs> 
nevertheless, it's just weird because, like, we all know about Twinkies because they're just so prevalent yep. in, like, US movies, like Zombieland, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, of course. It's like, and you sort of go, yeah, Twinkies. There was a brilliant exhibition years ago with Adam Curtis and the Punch Drunk people about the domination, the sorry, the yeah, the domination of American culture in this country during this period and why, so that, you know, the red under the bed and the panic had really nothing to do with us in terms of, like, the geopolitics mm. and the influence. And the rest. We're just, but we were in the middle of it all. But it was this time of like huge sort of like cultural imperialism loaded term. But I feel connected to the panic of Americans being concerned about the overtures of the USSR, even though, well, I wasn't born for a start. But even if I had been alive in this country, you wouldn't really have experienced it in that way. And then we just got this very welcome, obviously, onslaught of pop music and film and everything else. And so these hallmarks have their hooks in us in a way that doesn't really make any sense. Greece too has a lot to answer for. <laughs> From, on many, many levels. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And we get a lot of that here. You know, he's reading comic books like uh, The Metal Menace, Otomo, uh, which we becomes a big part of this. Um, we get that film at school about what to do in a nuclear yeah. attack, which, I mean, again, I think... We did get that here a bit because I remember we've talked about this reading mm. When the Wind Blows. Yeah. And that yeah. was the 80s I read that. And they were still peddling this myth that you could build a shelter in your house yeah. and survive a nuclear attack just so people weren't going, what's going to happen? We D- had duck the, and um, cover. Duck and cover. Mm-hmm. We had the se- the Sellafield thing because we. I remember being given a leaflet outside our school environment, not an official thing, but like protesters because Sellafield's not, it's not near Blackburn, but it's not a million miles away. So there was this thing that it's going to melt down and everyone's going to die and what are you going to do about it? I remember that leaflet. So it was like CND handing it out so clearly, scared the life out of me. Yeah, I remember because they, they changed the name, didn't they? Because it was Windscale and they went, mm, we've had a bit of a problem here. Change the name to Sellafield. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that because of a movie we were talking about, The Medusa Touch, where mm. he writes Windscale on the bit of paper at the end and you're like, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh, anyway, section two, a giant friendship. So it was uh, Joe Johnson who mm. sketched out the original design for nice. our friend the Iron Giant. Comes up a lot, doesn't he, Joe Johnston? He does, yeah. Workhorse. Workaholic. He oh, wanted. He wanted. Spencer's us. Yeah, his, yeah. His wife. He's a workaholic. Cylinders, cones, spheres, and squares are what he used to make, put him together. And he said he wanted to make him very simple and childlike. Yeah, influences from the day the Earth stood still. Mm. I keep reading. Obviously, Clatu. Mm, his design. Uh, this. I don't know whether this is a really geeky fact or just. It really fascinated me when I heard this because obviously, this movie's a blend of hand-drawn and computer-generated animation. And they wanted the Iron Giant because obviously a computer draws a straight line and it's a straight fucking line. Mm. But they wanted the Iron Giant to blend seamlessly with a hand-drawn animation where an animator can't draw the perfect, perfect straight line. So they designed a computer program to make the lines of the Iron Giant not perfectly straight, Mm. even though a computer was drawing them. Yeah, they wanted to introduce imperfections, which apparently they found it hard to tell a computer to create flaws. Yeah. A, cru- a computer doesn't want to create flaws. Um, and yeah, our experience of computers from HAL to Skynet is they're fucking flawed. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they do very but well. And actually, they don't mind being bossed around. But this is one of the first films, or maybe the first film, to use pre-visualisation. Uh, before then, you would have just look at, the, look at the images on a wall, but they found a way to turn them into animatics while they were putting together the film, which is industry standard now. And also Brad Bird, which was one of the contentious things on this set, he introduced for the first time uh, open critiques where you'd all get in a room and each animator would go up and stand next to Brad and he'd go through their work and critique it in front of everyone. Ooh. Which at it, volume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which has kind of become industry standard as well now. In the animation industry. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean that's the that's the whole ethos. I mean, the the Pixar building that Steve Jobs designed, that's the whole thing like it's all everyone mm. eats in this giant central foyer which is where ideas can be thrown and you can bring your work and people will go, oh, I think that's great. And depending on whatever movie you were working on or whatever department you were worked in, you were constantly feeding off each other's opinions of work. And so the idea is that you generate new ideas from that experience. It's hard, isn't it? I enjoy uh, a flat structure in terms of like management. And I think it's good to not get siloed in your expertise and that open environment would encourage it equally. Hmm. If someone's a bit of a dick, hmm. I don't care what you think about my work. Yeah. 
and I haven't got the energy to be polite about it. So, sorry, that's that's not yeah. relating to anything Can you in my if, real life. <laughs> no, but if you got sat next to someone, you were like, everything they were saying was just stupid. And then they were like, I, I had a feel great that every time. week on this show, mate. <laughs> oh, he just pushed himself away from the mic. He did a, a mic drop without, because he can't drop the mic, so he went, boom. Yeah, later days. <laughs> Uh, idiot. Right. Uh, Vin Diesel obviously voices uh, the Iron Giant. Uh, he says, I've always felt like I feel like a bull in a china shop. And with the giant, he moves to scratch his back and buildings fall. Actually, I think we're from the same planet. Oh. Vin's quote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he hadn't done anything at this point of any note. Um, but a friend of his was working on the film and they showed Brad Bird this film he'd done called Multifacial, which was a short movie about an actor who is multiracial and he's struggling in auditions. And there's a there's a scene where he's very quiet but very powerful and that's why Brad decided to cast him. Which, I mean, he'd been cast in Saving Private Ryan at this point, but mm. it hadn't been made. And so, yeah, he's he's got to convey a lot with very little dialogue. But um, he said he liked the character because... Strength is the bane of his existence. And I think Vin feels that as well. Ooh. And it's very funny watching him behind the scenes doing all his lines because he's wearing sunglasses in the studio. Inside. Classic. Oh. So we get Hogarth meeting the Iron Giant. Uh, it's very John Connor and Arnie from Terminator 2. Yeah. Uh, mm. This relationship when mm. he's meeting and the Giant's mimicking Hogarth. And uh, the Giant, again... Differing from the book is a bit. It's a big child here. Uh, now we meet someone who I'm going to be talking about a lot because he is a staggeringly brilliant character that I just think is is the reason this film it just is next level great. Mm. And his name is Kent Mansley, voiced <laughs> by our old friend Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin. Love this guy. And Daryl from. Oh, Alex, Alex, Alex. I think this is going to be one of those moments. Yeah. Wait, don't tell me. Give me slow clues. <clears throat> uh, road trip gone wrong. Um, very famous director. Um, you just don't know, do you? Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I was here for that episode. <laughs> In some ways, you know what? Yeah, yeah. true. You, you check Whoa. out somewhat. Yeah. Uh, I ch- I'm not a fan. He's so good. Though. I'm a fan of him. I uh, <laughs> just not a fan of that movie. Uh, but let's talk about his name because you love this. I know it's brilliant. <laughs> How much do you love it? I love it so much. I thought I'd misheard it at first because he's not in the book, and I was like, he didn't just say. I'm basically, I'm the man, Mansley. But yeah, it is, and it's perfect. But also, man, sly. He's a sly man. Yeah, yeah. He like <laughs> tries to trick Hogarth yeah, and perfect. Annie. It's it works on so many levels. Kent Mansley. Uh, he's great calling Hogarth all sorts of. 50s nicknames that a man would call a kid in that great montage. Sport, slugger, buckaroo, slayer, chief. <laughs> Lovely. Um, and what's great about him is that you see him and initially I was convinced that he was going to be a bit of a sympathetic character. 100%. He's yep. a bit of a buffoon. He's clearly in a job that he hates where he's the laughing stock of his peers because he works in these unexplained phenomenon mm-hmm. departments and you really like, oh my God, he cluts, he's a clumsy man, he loses his car and it's... It's intentional on Brad Bird's part because he said we wanted to make him look like the all-American hero because so often with cartoons, the villain is designed to look like a villain. So it's like paint by numbers, no pun intended, and you're like, that guy looks villainous, and he's not. And in a couple of Brad Bird movies, here being a perfect example, and also in Ratatouille, Mm -hmm. like the evil food critic is designed as a villain, and then the big reveal is that actually he was just unhappy and the food gives him this big epiphany, and it's just... Pulling the carpet out from under you. Yeah, it's good. I think it's great. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, he is the literal embodiment of paranoia in the US at this point. Uh, we also learn after a train accident, the giant can rebuild himself. That will come back. And the giant wants to be Superman, yeah. not the metal menace. I mean, yeah. it really is the Superman story, mm. isn't it? Like from beginning to end, there's not, it's not, it, this almost pairs better with Superman. Because <laughs> um, it's not that much different that, you know, is, should we be frightened of this weapon that's, yeah. that's on our planet now? Is, has he come here to save us? It's, it's the Christ story as well. Hmm. So, section three Dean Machine. 
<laughs> which we'll do after the break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So Dean Machine. Dean, another character, a bit like Ken Mansley, perhaps not as pronounced, uh, but a character that you don't think is going to be what he is at the start. He looks like a beatnik poet intentionally, yep. and then he's a beatnik who runs a scrapyard yep. who makes... Quite horrible Shit metal sculptures. Yeah. Um, so Dean takes the giant in. We get the fun and games section now. The promise of the premise, Hogarth having fun with his new BFF, playing in the lake, hanging out, while Dean assumes the surrogate father role, telling Hogarth, you are who you choose to be. When that comes back later. Oh, don't. I know. It's really bad. Mm. It was really bad. And it was worse than with E.T. And I was with my child and I thought oh he's never seen me cry because uh, I'm tough as shit <laughs> so I was like what's gonna happen because I was like you know when you you know like your eyes leak but then you know when your voice goes as well and I was like that's actual crying yeah. and I was like you cannot see that so I had to like roll away as we were in bed because I was like I'm gonna start to sob because it really really got me do you know why I think it, it it's more pronounced than in ET because it doesn't feel manipulative in this film and that's yeah. one of the things which we'll talk about at the end that's the beauty of this film. At no point do you feel, oh, come on, yeah, yeah. don't pull that one. It feels all so authentic. Yeah. Then the deer gets killed and the Iron Giant clearly doesn't understand death because he can rebuild himself. Big yeah, it's themes. interesting. They originally had the giant himself killing the deer by accident. It's sort of the Frankenstein with the little girl. Mm. Uh but this works much better. Mm. I mean, it's relatively manipulative having a kill a deer. <laughs> it's not okay to kill, but it is okay to die. That's big. What a sentence. Yeah, it's big. <sighs> it's not okay to die. Oof. And he's a child. Oh, God. <laughs> but again, no schmaltz. No schmaltz. Yeah. Love it. Uh, section four with a real Kent Mansley. Please stand up. <laughs> So we have seen inklings at this point that Ken Mansley uh, might be more than just a government buffoon. Uh, but here, and it's, so, it's for a cartoon, this is such a shocking scene when he interrogates Hogarth yeah. and is so rough with him yeah. and chucks him around. Yeah. And you see like what this man really is. Yeah. But again, at this stage, you think... Right, he is so committed to this job. Yes. He just believes in his government and making sure this country is safe so much. And that is your takeaway from this moment. Let's leave that there. Also, is he right? I mean, it, it, has this thing potentially been sent here to wipe us out, to, to stop us becoming a threat or to clear the way for a forthcoming invasion? I mean, it's this dent in his head, isn't it, that's yeah. making him different and making him see the world differently. If that dent wasn't there, would he be wiping us out? Is Kent right? Mm. I agreed. And I think that's that's good. That's great for his character right now, because even though it's quite shocking seeing the way he interrogates Hogarth, you are still very much like, well, that argument stands. Mm. You know, he is committed to the protection of the, the US. And, and he would argue that the means would justify the ends. Mm. Yeah. Sure. So Hogarth there tells him at the junkyard, Mansley gets the army, they've disguised the giant as art, so Mansley becomes a laughing stock and is fired. Uh, then, like you just touched on, we see that the giant is not all we thought he was. We see him as a weapon when he reacts to Hogarth's pistol and attacks him and mm. nearly kills him and is ashamed Yeah, and runs away to hide. He can't deal with these emotions because we've already had the conversation with Hogarth talking to the giant saying, look, 
you have a soul, I think, and souls never die. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and suddenly the giant is like, I don't know what I am. I've got a soul. The kid told me I have a soul. And yet I just tried to kill the guy I love. Wow. Big stuff. Do you think we needed to know more about the father? There was a deleted scene from the start of the film where um, mum and boy are trying to fix the broken down car and they've got this lovely interaction between the two of them and she says, you, lo- you laugh just like your father. And then they sort of explicitly say that the dad's passed away. Yeah. They cut that and there's a moment in the film where you see a photo of the father who's clearly a pilot who's been killed in the war. Right. But I didn't pick up on that until someone told me on the commentary no, I that that's that. what I was supposed to read into it. Do you think we need that? No. no, I don't. I think it's maybe too much sadness. Like, mm. There's quite a lot of sadness, uh, and I think like Hogarth is such a good kid, but that's why Jennifer Aniston's so good in the voice role because she just seems like such a brilliant mom. Mm. Like she's together and she's making it work, and they're going to rent this room. And even though she rents the, a room to someone who she's left her child alone in the house with a grown man who is not to be trusted, mm. she still comes across as like he's good because she's good kind of thing. Like she raised him right. Mm. So I don't know. I didn't. I didn't have any. Que- I had questions about the dad in the ET. I wondered if maybe he should come back at the end. And I know it's more totemic if he doesn't, and he seems like the embodiment of all shit dads everywhere but it's the same what were we talking about the other oh Ferris Bueller like mm. there's a dad figure in it that's such an important thing and maybe it would be good to sort of take the sting out of it a bit by just having the dad appear to speak to his son um, but I didn't miss the dad in that no. same way in and, this and he does Ferris Bueller Kent doesn't he by pretending he's sleeping in the yeah. same way <laughs> another similarity between these movies hey um, we didn't touch on it but that's another shocking thing uh, I forget uh, Kent being rough with Hogarth, the fact that he threatens him with saying, because you've got no father, yeah. it would be very easy for me to take you away from your mum because mm. also she's struggling financially. Yeah. And that's why Hogarth obviously gives up the giant initially. Yeah, because that's his pressure point. Mm. And he's probably right as well. That's the other thing. So it's not he's manipulating a child by telling him the worst possible thing, but he's probably not even lying. Like he could do mm. that. That's why it, that, it worked for me on that level. So as our Iron Giant runs off, he sees some kids in danger and he runs over and he saves the kids. And then the army finally see him. Kent Mansley is like, ah, see, I was right. And then the army attack the giant and all hell breaks loose. And Yeah, but his defence mechanism doesn't really kick in here like it did early when he saw a gun. Mm. It's, yeah. I'm a bit confused by this. Yeah, I, I think maybe, I'm guessing... It's leaning into like his love for Hogarth, although that doesn't work because he nearly killed Hogarth earlier. But I mean, it just sets up Ken Mansley. Like, if you didn't think this character, who who you still like, because this film is so short. Well, it's not short; it's a great length at ninety minutes, almost exactly, and it really just rattles along. You're still sort of like, sorry, I'm still remembering him as the kind of buffoon. And here he says to the army, the giant has just killed that kid (laughs) so you can completely open fire on him. So he is basically sacrificing Hogarth or just doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care that Hogarth is going to die because he wants to kill the giant so badly. Yeah. And you still think that's because, God, he loves his country. So... Um, section five, a giant sacrifice. Uh, highs and lows here are amazing. So the giant becomes Superman. Oh, his dream. Mm. He can fly. Yeah. Like Superman. Yeah. Beautiful. Then they crash. Hogarth might be dead. Then we see the giant transform into full on Merza bot. <laughs> yeah, he looks awesome though. <laughs> yeah, he does. Very cool. Uh, very War of the Worlds with the rays. Yeah. Firing out of his back. Uh, Mansley is uh, almost full-blown mad now. <laughs> but he's still got more huge character developments. First! But it looks beautiful here. The sky turns red and mm. everything sort of changes. The, ap- the whole atmosphere of the film changes in such a beautifully sort of realised way. Yeah. Um, it's a good-looking movie. It is. It's a beautiful-looking mm. movie. Mm. So... Uh, Hogarth's taught the Iron Giant about death um, and the the script has tapped in uh, at this point to uh, the idea that Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Bird (laughs) initially pitched to Warners um, about what if a gun had a soul and could choose not to be a gun. And Hogarth uh, tells the Iron Giant, uh, he recites Dean's line earlier, you are who you choose to be. (laughs) Wow. 
The army backs down, but Mansley grabs the radio and launches the nuclear missiles at the sleepy town of Rockwell. Realising that he's killed them all in one of my favourite payoffs of a character <laughs> I've seen in a long time. The man you think has done all of this because of some blind belief in his country, that his patriotism has made him crazy, says, screw our country, I want to live, and tries to escape. Yeah. That's when you realise he is an actual psychopath. A proper baddie. Yeah. A re- just mad. Yeah. Just a mad, mad man. <laughs> uh, so... Only one thing can save the day. The giant and Hogarth say goodbye. The giant repeating Hogarth's line from earlier, no following. <laughs> oh, God. The giant points at itself and says, no Otomo, Superman. Oh, t- <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, Vicky. It's... Can we turn the cameras off, please? It's just... It's so bad. It's so good. I just had... I would just... Oh, God, I am Superman. Wow! <laughs> I'm Superman. <laughs> and then, sure enough, he sacrifices himself to save everyone. Kind of wish... This isn't my change, but I'll drop it in. I do kind of wish Hogarth turned on the army at this point and said, you did this. Yeah. Because he's sort of, like, just sad and... Yeah. You know, granted, it was Mansley who fired the nuke, but Hogarth, I don't think, really understands the difference between Mansley at this point and the rest of the army, and he just sort of is okay with it, whereas it was the army's fault for being idiots. (laughs) And so we think the giant is dead. But they retrieved one piece, the piece that glows blue and the giant is rebuilding, and as Hogarth goes to bed, rolls away out of the window, and Hogarth says, See you later. (laughs) And we're done. That is the end of the Oh, lovely. You didn't mention that uh, Dean's now getting his end away. <laughs> Perfect, though. Yeah. As he's right and proper. They all deserve it. They deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, Hogarth's got a dad now. And... Yeah, a great dad with a cool dressing gown who does give him coffee, which is a problem, but let's not worry about it. Yeah, well, I'll talk about the coffee scene when we get to the bits, but I'm interested if there's any more for any more. Uh, no. No? Um, there was one deleted scene or the, a scene that they changed where the advert on the telly was something else, but with this anniversary version... Brad Bird changed it because he wanted what he'd originally written, was, which was an advert for Tomorrowland. Oh, yes. At Disneyland. Right. So, and uh, that was years before he did the Tomorrowland movie. So yeah. it's just a funny little thing that this was on his mind even back then. Right then, let's do the bits. Uh, so, Chris, best scene? Uh, the ending stuff. The giant taking out the bomb. The Superman moment. Um, yeah, it's great. It's a great payoff. It's a great climax. B. I am Superman. Because it made me cry my heart out. Yeah, three for three. <laughs> it's a toss up between that bit and you know when he first. When he flies. says, "I know gun." Oh yeah. God! Oh, I know. My God. I know gun. Oh gun. No Tomo Superman. Uh, all right, MVWV. Christopher McDonald <laughs> yeah he's he's really brilliant because of what you said before when he first pops up he's quite a sympathetic character and you understand that because Annie is single and this is a kids film she's probably going to get a love interest and you think it might be yes. him rather than like Dean's a bit too sort of not on this planet a little bit he doesn't need to be the love interest mm. so you think oh great he's going to move in with Annie and then see the error of his ways and team up with the boy Completely. and all the rest of it and the fact that he doesn't is fun he's just a proper bad guy and he is very, very funny, as he is in everything, including Thelma and Louise. He's very funny in that. He's great in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Shame about the rest. Um, <laughs> like, it's just the hill he's going to die on. He doesn't really think it. <laughs> he doesn't think Thelma and Louise is bad, I does just, he? fucking doesn't. I just know it annoys Victoria. <laughs> oh, OK. I'm, I'm fine then. I'm as with much it. as me calling her Victoria. <laughs> so it's a two for one annoy Victoria. Right, well done. Well done. Keep it going. <laughs> OK, MVW, Chris. Most valuable ever. I am going for Mr. Bradbird. To take that concept of what if a gun had a soul and to take this story by Ted Hughes and smash them together, uh, it's what a vision he had. And yeah, I think it's an amazing piece of work. Uh, Brad Bird, because he gets things done by shouting at people. Uh, <laughs> and you like that. <laughs> no, uh, but Brad Bird is my MVW. But isn't that funny, though, because I, I had exactly the same experience as you meeting Brad Bird. I thought he was the loveliest man 
ever. And so it was really interesting to come to and go, oh, sometimes you don't see every side of someone. And I'm sure he's a lovely man and in the heat of passion, who knows? But um, True. Isn't it weird when you meet someone on a promotional tour I mean, for a movie? I mean. <laughs> they're lovely. Weird, but... That's what I mean. Can't, can't, can't read anything into it. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't seen the documentary either, so I, I, I still only know of him. It's like quite softly spoken as well. He had his kid with him on the carpet, I believe. And it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. It was just, <laughs> And they're all sort of laughingly looking back on it, but it was a very difficult shoot, that's all. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just the way he sort of, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but just the way he designs characters or has characters designed, you know, to make sure they they don't look like how the character is meant to be in yeah. the film. Uh, just to pull the rug out from under you. Uh, all right, this is an interesting one. So let's get to it. Change, Chris. Let Harry Connick Jr. sing. <laughs> He's a beat poet. He's got to do some bebop. That's so true. Dean's got to sing a song. So true. V? Um, the Iron Giant does die at the end, but there are no more wars ever again because humanity recognises the sacrifice of this dignified creature and we all put our arms around each other and the Cold War ends and everything's brilliant forever. Boo. Wow. <laughs> you know, the original ending was meant to be really darker, which was the Soviet Union declaring war on the US because and the Iron the... Giant sacrifices himself to stop a nuclear holocaust. Oof. Mm. Uh, I think it was Brad Bird's co-writer, uh, Tim um, Canleys, who actually went, how about no? Bring it down a, a notch. <laughs> and that's really interesting that you're, you don't, you want the Iron Giant to, to die. I, had, I felt, I didn't feel as much relief as I did with E.T. for some reason. Even though I was sadder when he made his sacrifice, it's, I think it's because he has got, he's, he's, there's something about it that satisfies the Iron Giant because he's, he's, achieved his destiny kind of thing mm. he's understood who he is he's understood he's got a soul therefore this isn't the end oh hang on yeah alright so that's not the end for him so <laughs> he's um, he's yeah it, there's peace there oh god right so there's peace for him so that when he gets put back together whereas when E.T. dies it's just tragic and sad and shouty and confusing and he doesn't want to go and he hasn't been able to go home there's, he's, he hasn't finished his story Whereas the Iron Giant is very dignified in what's about to happen. So I was like, that could be the end of your story. And then it would be nice if that meant something for everybody else, perhaps. But don't you want the space bat angel demon <laughs> in the Iron Giant too? When I'm reading, I'm like, what the fuck is this, Ted Hughes? <laughs> and the space bat demon angel, the kid's like, what? <laughs> flies just behind sunset. How do you do that? How do you fly behind sunset? I was like, he's a madman, children. Um, so I've got two. Uh, I'll do my short one first. I really, and I it, it, I hadn't noticed it, and part of it is the coffee scene because he speaks this bit of the story so fast. I'd really lose the Hogarth not fitting in at school and that's why oh, he yeah. needs the Iron Giant as a friend. Very, very, very sub, 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 subplot yeah. that is mentioned briefly in a classroom scene. Yeah, there's a lot of deleted scenes that I watched. Mm. Uh, there's stuff in the class where he's being... Uh, resented by the other students because he's so clever. I think it's enough that he wants a pet. I sure. think I think that works. It's um, funny, that's the only scene that Brad Bird did himself. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You want it gone? Uh, I just, yeah, it, it just felt like uh, a bit too far because at the end there's a payoff that doesn't work where he's playing with the other kids Yeah, and yeah. you're like... He's made friends with them. Yeah, and that's bit. all because of that scene. Okay, uh, so my, my actual big change is the opposite of what yours was. I actually think when the little glowing blue device goes out of the window and Hogarth's last line is see you later it should fundamentally be see you soon like that is how oh, yeah. you let us know that the Iron Giant is going to fix himself and come back and see Hogarth it's I don't like know he's if he, saying I don't know if he is going to come and see Hogarth again I think Hogarth's story is ended mm. with, with him so Hogarth's got what he needed I think I think he goes on to have new adventures and I don't I don't think that's right. Well, for me, I'm the sorry. way the film ends, I want um, to believe they're going to be reunited, if only to say goodbye without flying into a nuke and <laughs> just sort of like, I'm going off on other adventures and I can speak better now. Um, <laughs> you know, so cheers for everything. Yeah, I understand that I know gun is I'm not a gun. I use a contraction. I've, I've really come on. <laughs> but I need to believe at the end and because I've become so attached to this relationship that, that the Iron Giant is going to, even if it's only for a moment, just pop. Pop in, yep. Pop back and see Hogarth. Right. That is the end of the Iron Giants. Mm. Are you ready for the verdict? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! I am ready. So, where do we start? Uh, I oh, think... sorry. No, get, oh, my God. Do you know what it is? It's because I'm not paying attention. 
How did that just go? Really well. You said no. I understand that. You said this is why you. Do, this yeah, is why you don't. Know you weren't listening. No, I wasn't listening. It doesn't matter. You have to listen back. I'm not going to. So you said it's time for the verdict. Then you said it's my choice. Got it. Right. Got it till next time. Definitely. Next one. Next one. Um, <laughs> but I would have just jumped in if you hadn't said it. Of course. Um, You're more confident. Because I hate, hate the dead air. Just uh, get on with the verdict. Uh, you know what? I'm I going. I believe I'm the one moving us on for once. Get on with the verdict. I'm going to do my verdict first. Great. Ooh. Okay. Um, so I think the Iron Giant is tighter, sharper, better looking. I feel like I'm in the hands of a master when I'm watching it. But with E.T., I feel like I'm being manipulated by a master and it works. And it, <laughs> You love it. And I don't know uh, how it worked, how it would work if I was watching it for the first time today, but I can't go back in time and make that happen. No. I know how it made me feel when I was four and those emotions return as soon as I watch it. Uh, and so I can't bet against my boy E.T. So I'm picking E.T., but I can't wait to find out what you're picking. I'm going to go Alex first. Okay. Uh, so really good clash this week. Two brilliant films. It's very close. I loved E.T. a lot more than I did as a child because uh, I can cry now, uh, although only at home. I think Spielberg's genius to film it almost chronologically and get those performances from those child actors is incredible. Um I, you know, Drew Barrymore at the end, she's looking at a living, breathing, breathing creature. I think playing the bike scene twice didn't work as I changed on Monday, but that's a minor quibble. It's a great, great film. Iron Giant, a revelation for me watching it for the first time this week. Some of the themes in there are so weighty. And uh, as I've said before, which I think is maybe going to lean into my decision, I find animation more impactful emotionally because it's animation. Knowing it's an actor voicing a character is not as uh, relevant as when you are seeing them on screen. And I think even with E.T. this week and Elliot versus Hogarth, I'm watching Elliot and at points, and I know you love Henry Thomas, I'm like, God, that child actor's good. <laughs> and in that moment, I am taken out of the movie even for a split second, with animation, I just find it so pure that I invest so much more emotionally in it because I'm not being taken out. It exists. That character of Hogarth exists purely in that movie. It's not played by anyone who has an external life to the film. So it's just so pure. And so the emotion is much more pure and heartfelt. And I do think the Iron Giant is less manipulative and more authentic, and therefore the themes hit bigger and harder, so I am picking the Iron Giant. <gasps> Split vote so far, Victoria. Jeopardy. Down See, to you. This is the thing, because I think you're both right, and I want to pick both of them. This yeah. is really, really hard. And I would say, so a truthful reaction is in the moment, I think Iron Giant is, I enjoyed it more. I found E.T. a bit slow. But then also, my expectations of E.T. were really high, which isn't fair. Um uh, but and also but then the source material of the Iron Giant they've done a really good job because the book is fucking it is just fucking weird like it's fine but to modern kids it's just like it's got these it's got such a strange structure in that they bury the giant for ages and then it comes back and it's like what's happened here and all the rest of it so the thing is I can only it's like you're, you're weighing up these tiny little things and it's just because of Henry Thomas because the performance is just it was everything that I thought it was going to be with expectations like through the roof everything that I've been led to believe that he is mm. he is and because he's real and it's all the opposite of your reason because he's a real kid doing a real thing I'm just so impressed by it so only on that it just nudges it but it's impossible and I might change my mind but for, and for now E.T. Okay we've never had a situation where you can change <laughs> How long your do we mind? have to wait? Can we, can we stop soon? <laughs> Is it going to happen in the next five minutes? <laughs> no no it's fine E.T. E.T. Okay we have a winner E.T. the extraterrestrial is our victor. The Iron Giant is sorely going to the scrapyard. Not really, though, because it's also brilliant. But E.T. is the winner. Uh, I'm not going to get into why I think you're wrong, so we'll do that at the pub. Great. Uh, next week, the clue I gave on Monday. We are going to find... Hmm? Find something terrifying. Find? Found? Found footage? It's the Blair Witch Project versus Paranormal activity that is our pairing for next week um i didn't check i'm sorry it's my i checked for you did you really yeah i did um 
They are both widely available. Um, Blair Witch is on Netflix uh, for free, in quote marks, and you can rent Paranormal Activity like 99p on various platforms. Fantastic. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Look how shocked you are. She just, did something nice for us. Do you need to borrow money? <laughs> yes, always. Um, so there you go. It's Paranormal Activity versus the Blair Witch Project. Do your homework. We will be back on Monday. In the meantime, please... Uh, Spread the word uh, about our little old podcast here, wide and far, in America too, which we're huge fans <laughs> of. <laughs> so uh, check in with us on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram at ClashPod and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Thanks very much for listening. Back on Monday, talking The Blair Witch Project. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.